0: You're listening to the Scottish Football Forum's podcast, Euro Special, the home of Euro 2020 banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Football Forum's podcast, Euro Special. In part two of our commentator specials, we are joined by Rory Hamilton, the voice of BT Sport and Premier Sports. Rory starts off by telling about his summer job, working as number one commentator for STV for two of Scotland's three matches in the finals, of which one of them is the big one against England at Wembley. Rory tells about his pride in following the footsteps of the likes of Archie McPherson, Jock Brown and Arthur Montford and Rob McLean by commentating on Scotland at a major finals, and how easy a decision that became when it wasn't clear that fans could even attend at the finals. We then reminisce about Scotland in the 90s, particular Euro '96 and France '98, before wondering why it's taken us 23 years to qualify again. We then round off with some general chat, chat including Rory making amendments to his all-time Scotland 11 by fitting in th- three players from the current group into the side. But what changes were they? Really? Sit back and enjoy this latest edition of the Scottish Football Forums Podcast, Euros edition. In part two of the Euros preview um, commentator special, I am joined by Premier and BT Sport commentator Rory Hamilton. Rory, welcome along. How are you?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, John. Very good. Uh, just had a busy weekend of some, some big football games. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good to be back on and have a chat with you.
0: Yeah, of course, because obviously, as we are recording, you've just done two Scottish Cup semi-finals. Um, this is um, obviously good preparation for um, events that are coming up because although I've introduced you as Premier and BT Sport commentator, you do have a wee job over the summer. Can you tell us a bit about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, asked by... STV to to do a couple of the Scotland games um, in the, the group stages for the, the Euros. So, um, yeah, a real honour uh, to be asked to to cover the games for a start. And I mean, I, I, I would have been there as a fan. It actually made my decision easier um, that there are no fans because... I mean i've been going as you know i've been going to games for for years and years and it would have actually been a really difficult decision whether to to be there commentating or to uh to be there with my mates as i have been sort of across the continent um to so many places to to so many games and then to eventually get to a tournament would you want to be working i don't know um but given that so few people are going to be able to to be in the grounds um it's you know it's, it's going to be really special to to be there for a start and and to to be the the voice on the telly is is pretty cool actually.
0: Yeah, I mean your decision would have been because um, like, I remember when we last chatted, you were torn as to what you would maybe do, more siding towards being um, keeping yourself in the fan fan zone, but then it it wasn't looking as though there, were, there was going to be any, and when you were asked, um, so it must have been a really. Easier decision than you first anticipated.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I wonder if it had come to it, whether the the professional head would have <laughs> would have got the better of me. Anyway, I I don't actually know. Um, yeah, it would just be interesting to find out. But uh, you know that this is the way it's panned out. So uh, Wembley and the Croatia game. So games two and three in the group are are both on. STV, so uh, they're the uh, they're the ones that I'm going going to get to do, which is very exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course, because both of them are an ITV or STV, and I think BBC have the first one. So you, you're yeah. not doing like commentary for the highlights of the Czech Republic game.
1: Yeah? I, I not that I know of. I mean, it, it's still it's still relatively early, in their, their sort of planning uh, phase. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah, we'll see see what they come up with. I'd love I'd love to I'd love to get more. Um, and I would love them to get through and to do a second round and a quarter final and a semi-final and a final, but uh, yeah, let's see.
0: Oh, that would be awesome if they went all the way. I mean, I've been joking with some of the English ones I've been speaking to. We'll see you in the final and we'll beat you in penalties, but I <laughs> don't see that yeah, happening, well, obviously.
1: <laughs> me, and my, me and my girlfriend booked, a, um, we booked a, a little croft on the Isle of Lewis and it's it's the weekend after the group stages and I was sort of saying to her oh, Yeah <laughs> this this is risky. Um so we'll see whether I'm in Lewis or uh, or somewhere else.
0: <laughs> Lewis no more Le Caber no more. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well you never, you never know I mean, because I, I can't remember when the next round of fixtures are Because um, I think some fall on the Monday and the Tuesday So we might be in one of them But we need to get through first We'll just do our job on the pitch first But you're obviously following um, a long line of um, guys Who've been fortunate to, enough to commentate at finals um, You've obviously had Rob McLean recently at France 88 You've Archie McPherson, Jock Brown, Arthur Mon- Monfort How does it feel to be an elite company following their footsteps?
1: You say recently, <laughs> and then you said, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I, I hadn't really thought of it like that. To be honest, that's uh, it's it's an interesting way to put it. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a good question. I, I hadn't, I don't, I don't tend to think of myself that way when um, when when you're commentating. But it is interesting because because people do come up to up to you and or, or they they message you. Um, Mentioning big moments that that you've commentated on, uh, and and you know they they enjoy that that part of it. Um, yes, yeah, so to do a to do a, a a European finals that Scotland haven't been in for so so long. Um, yeah, that's that. that that's, a, that's a good question because I've not I've not really thought of that. Uh, so I don't think that sort of aspect of it has really really sort of settled in yet
0: yeah to be fair I mean you've always had the approach of um, your own man you know it's not a case of following who you've been following before whether it be um, Derek Ray or Robert, Rob himself obviously um, and I think that's what's got you the position that um, you know that you're in just now you know being the lead commentator at BT and Prime and then being asked by STV so all I would say is just keep that up
1: yeah you're right I mean I've always said that it's, um if if you try i mean all all those those guys that you've mentioned are are top class commentators and if you try and if you try and copy them you'll fail because they're they are their own commentators so and this is what I always say to to young guys that are sort of up and coming is is to you know don't don't try and do what I'm doing don't try and do what bill mclaren did or Rob McLean or Jock Brown, you know any of these guys, Archie McPherson, because they're the best at that. <laughs> you make your own style and and make your own way in it because because that's what that's what will get you through it and that, that's what will bring you to the top.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And um, well, congratulations on your your position. I'm sure that um, most people will be pleased to hear that Shoot that's got it although I think Mr Crocker will be a bit jealous given that he's been 23 years trying to see this and then <laughs> someone else comes and takes his position but to be fair he's contracted with Sky so it would have been difficult for him anyway.
1: Uh, Crocs has been hogging the uh, the qualifiers for years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah too much of a jinx until that penalty show um, but, yeah, um, but, yeah, but the last time that obviously I mean you're similar ages to me you're a bit younger um, so the last time that you remember Scott, in the major finals. You were at school, and I was only just leaving school when we when we qualified for France '98. You know, so um, what's your um, main sort of memories from? I'm guessing Euro '92 would have been like the first vague memory you'll have.
1: I, I, I would say the the vague memories probably go back to 1990, um, but I was I was six in 1990. Yeah, yeah I was so, nine. I mean, really? Do you, do you understand it? Not not really. I mean, I, I remember watching the games, but I, I don't think I really had a full concept of, of what was going on. My dad was never that that big a football fan either, so we would have watched the games, but I don't I don't think I had a real grasp of it. That said, I do I do really remember the, the uh, Scotland winning the Grand Slam in nineteen ninety, the Six Nations or Five Nations back then. Uh, but that's probably because my dad was more into it at the time. But uh, yeah, I would say ninety-two uh, euros was really the first time because by then, you know, you're you're at school all the time, you're you're chatting away with your mates. It's that really big excitement um, for the game starting. Uh, I remember I, I remember watching the first game, which must have been the Holland game. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. round at my mate's house, Gordon Pace, and his his dad was he was a good. Football. He was a goalie, and so their household was really, really into it. Gordon because he was a decent keeper as well. Um, and I remember going round uh, to theirs. It was probably like a Friday night or something. You're finishing school. You go round. You watch the game, and uh, and I remember the the uh, them playing the titles for for this for the new tournament. It was all oh, this is brilliant, and they played Van Basten's volley uh, mm-hmm. against the Soviet Union from '88. And I was just like, "Oh, we're playing those guys, aren't we?" <laughs> and I was just like, We've got no chance here. And then, of course, you, know, you see the lineup, and it was a lot harder to follow world football at that stage to really have any any knowledge. I mean, like I say, I would have been eight, so you're not going to follow other other leagues and things at that stage. But just when you saw almost the lineups, and, and you could tell you have got... Kulit and Rijkaard and Bergkamp. You can just see these guys. You need a, one touch of the ball and you're like, yeah, we're in trouble here. <laughs> this is a this is a whole other level.
0: Oh yeah, with it I mean that group, you know I don't think we'll get a group like that again. We had the world and European champions um in the same group in the world um the European Championship runners up in a major tournament that is obviously we know from two thousand and eight qualifiers we had a uh, Similar kind of scenario, but that particular tournament, no, it was just, it was doomed from almost the start, but we performed admirably, considering. I mean, Holland needed a late goal and in the intervention of three Milan players and an emerging Dennis Bergkamp to, to beat us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's difficult to know the sort of national mood at the time, being an eight-year-old. <laughs> but uh, I think probably at that time, you, you take for granted the fact that we were there, uh, because we were qualifying for everything then, uh, and there were only eight qualifiers. <laughs> you know, we're now up to twenty-four to get in the Euros. It's harder not to get there than it is to get there. I mean, we made it, made a mess of it, but uh, up until this year. But um, to to be within the, the top eight in the continent, you know, if you think of you of doing that now, and the number of Class teams that would miss out is is just incredible.
0: I know. Well, when you think about it, we were the fifth best team in Europe. When you think about it, because <laughs> out of the teams that didn't make it to the semi-finals, we were the best place because we won a game and and didn't have a negative goal difference.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a good point. <laughs> Finishing fifth in Europe, that's not bad.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, that was also that went over the the CIS yeah. um, who were obviously break, um, breaking up. That probably started. Um, making it harder for us to qualify because Russia broke up, um Czechoslovakia um and um Slovakia broke up obviously um and then you had the Yugoslav states um it's just and now you have as you say back in um 91-92 there was 32 UEFA nations um who were trying to qualify now it's 55 it's just gone crazy
1: yeah and and also from those further Eastern Bloc countries, those players have all progressed into major leagues in in Europe, uh, and Scots tend to play in England. Mm-hmm. The good ones go to England; they don't tend to go abroad. Whereas I think a lot of you know these guys from Croatia and and. Well, the the breakup of the Yugoslavs and, and the Soviet Union they've they've gone into Italy and to Germany and to Spain and to England and I think that that's given them a much more rounded way of play whereas I think probably around that sort of time they were probably very one-dimensional they were tough teams but but maybe they didn't have a, a more fluid way of, of playing um whereas now I think that that those countries have all they've really expanded the the way that they play football. And I think at, at times we can still be a little bit uh, but We haven't developed quite as much as they have.
0: No, I would agree with that. And I don't think enough of our players um, take the opportunity to go, go abroad. I mean, yes, we've had Collins and Lambert in the 90s, but there's not many that follow. But that also can be said down south, because um, not many English players go abroad until recently when Sancho and Bellingham have, have managed to do that. But I think we could do with more.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I've, I've made that point for quite a long time. I, I think that's held England back on the international stage. They've always had great players, but they haven't tested themselves out with their own comfort zone of, of playing in their own country. I mean, you had Steve McManaman went to Real Madrid. But out with him, there weren't really any that went in their prime. Obviously, you mentioned Sancho and Bellingham, so... They're, they're two good examples. You can see how they've developed because to get into a top team in England, you have to be world-class. I mean, if you look at... Chelsea had De Bruyne and Lukaku and, and they, they just got rid of them because there was no way into the team. And, I mean, they're two of the, two of the best players in, in Europe um, mm-hmm. and De Bruyne, one of the best in the world. And, and they couldn't get a look in. So, in a way, the strength of the Premier League has, has probably held back a lot of a lot of young talent in England. Now, now it's it's coming through. England have got a good young team, but as you say, some of them have had to go abroad to to get the game time rather than say you know taking a loan at the Championship. And mm-hmm. and Scotland, I think probably the same. I think I think maybe too many, I've said it for years, too many are probably lured by financial rewards of, of going down to usually the championship mm-hmm. um, when they could be better served, uh, testing themselves abroad, expanding not just their footballing abilities, but their their social abilities, their cultural abilities, their language and just becoming a, a you know more rounded individuals, you you take yourself. There's so much to be said for taking yourself out of a comfort zone.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And as we say, a lot more players um, could have done that. I mean, another England example. I'll put in. Sol Campbell had the chance to go to Barcelona, but went to Arsenal. Now, whilst he had a good career, um, could he have done better? Had he gone to Barcelona? Was he too scared to take that move in case it didn't work out? For him? we'll never know. That only Sol Campbell can answer that. Um, but. Yeah, in terms of um, you know, come back to your childhood and you're in '96, you'll maybe remember a wee bit more about that. So you would have been about twelve. Um, what do you remember in terms of the hype building up to us finals, especially the fact that early on we knew the draw was England?
1: Uh, just buzzing uh, the whole time, absolutely buzzing. Uh, so excited for it. I think I think in '92. You don't really have a great concept, uh, or I didn't have a great concept yeah. of our chances. You just, you, you don't really. I, I didn't understand, you know, how much of an achievement it was to be there. I probably didn't know how good Holland, Germany, CIS were. Uh, by by ninety six, I had a good idea of, of of what football was about, or a much better idea, anyway, because uh, you're you know you're playing it. Every day in your garden, or you're playing at school. You, you know, I was, by that age. I was then, you know, playing playing for teams. Um, so yeah, I do remember being very, very excited, but cautiously so because I knew that the the draw that we had again the Dutch uh, and England and um, uh, Switzerland, of course, yeah. uh, and it being in England, I, I think was was exciting. It was it was in grounds that I knew. Whereas I think I've I've moved on now, where I want things to be more exotic and in, in places that are new to go and visit. Um, but at that stage, I wasn't I wasn't really I wasn't going to football, so I wasn't looking to to get to the games, uh, which w- would have been fantastic. But I remember you know seeing the Tartan Army descending on on the, uh, London again, like it was for the the home internationals, and you, that probably without knowing it, seeing things like that just started sowing the seed within me to want to to be a part of that in the future
0: yeah I've heard um similar to I was speaking to Laura Brannan who watched Motherwell TV and she had no interest in football until she saw the Scotland fans at France 98 against Brazil and then she decided she wanted to be in there so I've heard all that um that story before it's just I mean they certainly know how to take over a place um and that's probably, I know you hate the term, and I get it, glorious failure, that probably um, was your first um, example of it, because obviously, last game, we needed to beat um, Switzerland by a couple of goals, and we only got the one, and England got four, put us in that false sense of security that we were going through, and then they got a late goal, but if we're pragmatic about it, think about it properly, we didn't do enough that night.
1: No, oh, you look at—you look after yourself. Um and we had that many chances before mm-hmm. before Ali banged that one in from thirty five yards, which I've was been missing two right setters. Way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <But> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, we 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 didn't quite have things in our own hands, but we could have done ourselves a, a, a much bigger favour. Nobody would have thought England would have would have put four past the Dutch. Um, so so we, we couldn't have been banking on that. We had to go out there and and do the job for ourselves and in a way we did because we won the game but you know the, the, I think we probably found our right place in that group. We we did okay against the Netherlands but we certainly didn't deserve to win the game. Uh, England I thought we I thought we played really really well mm-hmm. and if the penalty had gone in I think, I think we'd have won that game because we were we were on top. We had them on the ropes in that game, and yeah, just that that was such a turning point And they went straight upfield, and and Gaza scored that oh. incredible goal, that was uh, a... which was just it, it was it was an absolute heartbreaker that game uh, because I I think I think we showed just how much quality we had in that game. That's in my lifetime, I think that's the best we played in a in a major tournament.
0: Yeah, I would I would say so. Um, I mean, I know in United too, we played well in games, but um, we lost two and, drew, and, and won one. This one we won one, drew one, and lost one. So by points we got, um, and performance we certainly played better. I mean that McAllister moment. I mean, what the thing I don't get? I mean, he was such an accomplished penalty taker. Whenever he took one, it was like top right hand corner, top left hand corner. He was always in the corner, but that day he changed his tactic and. But only he can tell pressure um, can hit the best. I mean, look at the better badge in the ninety-four World Cup.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean exactly. And, uh, and uh, he he's hit pressure penalties before so, and and after. So he's he's proven he's he's a, a man that can deal with pressure. A penalty is a penalty, and a goalie can save it. You're right. You can you can stick it in the top bin, and the goalie is. Highly unlikely to save it because goalies don't dive at the top corner. So you can, in that sense, guarantee. But that also, I mean, the, the, your margin of error is so small. So I mean, he's gone for the one down the middle, and and Seaman sticks up a sticks up a strong arm and gets to it. It's not a bad penalty, I because he gets power behind it, and I always think as long as you hit the target you, you can score I remember Zidane's from the um, 2006 final in mm. uh, the World Cup and we because we we took my Fiesta over to Germany for that tournament and we were in Dusseldorf for the I mean, it just made it I don't know I don't know how it made it back it got impounded <laughs> in Munich and all this kind of stuff it was ridiculous uh, that's another story a longer story for another time um, but uh we were in Dusseldorf and I remember me and two mates and they had this massive argument walking walking home and uh, to the the hostel in Dusseldorf because one of them was saying, oh, that, that, that was almost the best penalty that he could have taken, almost the perfect penalty. And the other one was saying, but at the same time, where he put it, he had zero chance of scoring because it's not on target. You know, it's off the underside of the bar. Down it goes, and out it comes. So, okay, it's a fracture now. If you don't hit the target, you can't score. Whereas, if you dribble it down the middle, you can. The goalie might dive out of the way. So, you you've got to hit the target. McAllister did that, and Seaman saved it. It's it's one of those things.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's obviously that sliding doors moment, but I agree with you. We had them on the ropes at that point, oh, and yeah. um we just. We just didn't do enough to get that sick, that equalising in there. Obviously, um, done as in history.
1: That was a good England team. When you look mm-hmm. through the the players that they had, and they came very, very close to winning that. They
0: team. were so unlucky.
1: Yeah, I I think I think they probably actually were the best team in that tournament, and on home soil as well. Mm-hmm. That that I think is the one that, that slipped away for them.
0: Without a doubt, that's um, there's no question about. It. I think I always think about the Gascoigne chance um, that, that with the windham, the golden goal, and had that been the other way around, Gascoigne crossing for Shearer, that's two one, um, because Shearer's yeah. got that instinct and Gascoigne isn't. But Gary Tappos was saying that even maybe a couple of years earlier, Gascoigne might have got there, but he'd lost a wee bit of pace by then. But anyway, it cheered most Scots up that night. So. <laughs> Um, then on Fran- I mean, we talked about um, the build-up for year '96 being high. It wasn't anywhere near as high as France '98 because we knew we were kicking off the tournament against the best team in the world at that point in Brazil. You know, it was just an incredible build-up. I mean, for me personally, I remember getting VHS tapes for Christmas that year, and I kept one aside and labelled it for the game so I could record it when it came up. But I don't know what's happened to the tape. I think it's in my mum's loft somewhere. Need to read that.
1: Well, you need to find something to play it on as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, someone can convert onto yeah. DVD or this or whatever.
1: <laughs> I know that that still brings goosebumps to me. The, the, thinking of us walking out and the the Brazilian players, you know, linking arms, coming out the tunnel, and we we'd arrived in the kilts, of course, and walking around the stadium. I mean, that to me, oh what a day kicking off the World Cup I mean the eyes of the entire world probably only you know if you get to that game or the final is when the entire world is watching you and that and we played really well against I mean I talk about that England team being good in 96 nothing compared to that Brazil team they were I mean the super they were really I think the the sort of first of the modern superstars, and you take it to, you know, that that uh, Nike advert with oh, them all in yeah. the airport. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, these guys—they were like superhuman. Roberto Carlos and Ronaldo, Rivaldo, De Nielsen. I mean, just absolutely sensational. Uh, and and to match them, we we did we did pretty well that day. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we know how it turned out. We were unlucky. Uh, they were the better team, but. But they didn't. They did not batter us. We we gave it a good
0: shot. I was mean, certainly does. Um, we might we tried to match them in terms of the advert, but Presswick Airport doesn't quite compare to to Real Janeiro. But um, uh, yeah, was it Colin
1: Calderwood doing three keepy ups? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, down the concourse and Gordon going into a ten year old fan. Isn't quite. It's incredible with the likes you go to that's inspiration that they had. But um, but yeah, I mean that that John Collins penalty. I mean um. That, that's just an iconic moment because that's as good as, as you mentioned, this was as good as playing in the World Cup final. That was as good as, as good as scoring it because it's unlikely we're going to get to a final.
1: Yeah, no, of course. And, and you know, you talk about nerve and in big moments, the way he took mm-hmm. that yeah. the side footer into the corner. And it, and, and John's, John's got that and it's something that I think Scott's lack is that, whether it's belief, whether it's arrogance, mm-hmm. And you saw that the celebration points to his yes. name. We need more of that. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want too much of it, but we need some of it.
0: Totally agree there, because every team, every good, successful side will have a confident, gallousness type of player in it. Um you can have to look at Man United team from the that, that era. They had Eric Cantona, who was just completely cool and everyone and they had ten workers around them. Sometimes that's all you need. To, but...
1: Yeah, and and and, and we probably had it in the past and and we'll probably get we'll probably get onto it later on in this podcast, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's probably something that you know, Faddy had it, but we haven't had many in the last twenty years that have had that kind of confidence, that gallousness is a is a is a good Scottish word to to put on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think as good as that Scotland team was under Craig Brown, I think there were times that we lacked that colour. And I think the Norway game is one that really stands out because we absolutely battered Norway that day. Um, I'm still convinced that if Craig Burley had been played further forward rather than right wing back at the start, it might have, might have made the difference. I certainly think had Ali been there, I know Craig um, regrets not taking him that might have made an impact, but at the end of the day, we had enough chances, but we just were not ruthless enough, and we only came away with a point, and then, of course, we don't want to talk about Morocco. Well,
1: well, see, the thing is, I almost, it's that, I'm sure we underestimated Morocco, and I think that they probably played the Norway game thinking, do you know what, a a draw's alright, because we'll get three points against Morocco. And as you say, we all know what happened. That that was a disaster of a performance yeah. against Morocco, and they like they were good. They had they had some good players, but we we did not turn up that that day. I mean, it was or night. I think it was an evening game, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: that was an evening game. We,
1: we were we were awful, and, and on that basis, you, you know, you don't deserve to go through. Yeah, we were better against. We probably should have beaten Norway. Um, but then, you know, that wouldn't have even been enough. So, yeah, the, the Morocco game was horrendous.
0: Yeah, you can't claim glorious failure when you've only taken one point from nine. Um, the only one that was close to it, that was Morocco and I felt for them after the game um, because obviously Norway put them in and I thought Morocco were the better team of the two when they played. It was the goalkeeper that made an error.
1: Yeah, and there was a big thing about uh, it was, uh, the Norway, that player gone down to win a penalty or something. There was a big controversy and and Norway were like they were the bad guys in the
0: world <laughs> for that was against Brazil on the last the minute, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, that's part of football. You know, but people seem to want Morocco to go through
0: uh, something different, I suppose. It yeah, exactly. didn't matter to us because we were out. And did you think at full time that you wouldn't see Scotland in a major tournament for more than two decades?
1: No, I mean nobody did. We, I mean, in the nineties, we made ninety World Cup. Ninety two euros, ninety-six euros and ninety-eight. So we missed one. One of five. I mean that's that's incredibly good going. And in the eighties, similar, seventies, similar, sixties. You know, we we qualified for tournaments. So, you know, you can accept missing the odd one or two here and there, but but to go that long, twenty is it's essentially twenty-three years, but it's twenty-two years in terms of how the tournaments are being labelled is is just incredible.
0: (laughs) I know. And I know we've touched on a couple of reasons. Um, We've not produced enough quality players. and The breakup of the certain nations that we talked about as well. But what do you think? I mean, if you could pick one thing that that stopped us from qualifying, what would you think it would have been over those 22 years?
1: Um, I think probably a number nine, a world-class number nine. Uh, And uh, we're we're still looking for one. And I I think that a lot of other nations, you look at some of the ones that have managed to qualify in that time. And even some of the teams that we played against in in qualifying, sometimes we've beaten them. You know, you look at even, say, like a, a Macedonia and you went, Goran Pandev, quality player, who you just knew was going to score against us. If you look at Wales, okay, he's not a nine, but they've got Gareth Bale, a guy who you just know when you when you need a goal, when you need somebody to come up with something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Other teams have had it. We've had we've had good players and and good teams, but not always that one superstar that can that can. Dig you out of a hole and continuously do it. I mean, look at the games that we played against Wales, and Bale just continuously turns up, uh, and and he's done he's done that for them for for so long, and we've not really had a, a player like that. I mean, you know my feelings on glorious failure. I'll I'll, I'll never accept that, um, but I think that there is. There is a mentality that Scotland needs to change, um, and it's maybe one of more of an, an acceptance of, of failure um, than this sort of uh, outside influence of of predetermined failure. I th- but I think there's more of an acceptance of failure um, that we need to we need to really ditch and. And the way that you do that is by qualifying for tournaments and being a part yeah. of them. Uh, but I'm sure in the lead up to the summer, and I can I can see it in the news reports even before we kick a ball, it'll get mentioned. Yeah. And at any state because the thing is, if you lose in the if we get to the final and lose, what's the first thing people will say? Oh, it's glorious failure. Oh, it was looking so good and then you failed, or you get knocked out in the group stages and they <laughs> go, all. Of- Glorious it's failure. still failure. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to. If if you don't win the tournament, it's failure.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and another thing, mentality. I think we've had. Um, There's been a problem for us. There's always been the mentality of a draw will do, and you know you can understand it when you're playing Italy away. Sometimes even France away. But France away was the last real signature that, result that we got against a team that was in pots bigger than us in terms of an away result. But even going to Dublin and accepting a, a draw and fans celebrating a draw in Dublin, I thought that's going to come back and bite us because we had a similar mentality going to Georgia and then we slipped up because we have that fear of the unknown.
1: Yeah, there's... Um, take, take risk and get points on the, the board early on. And do you know what? This group, with the Czech Republic and Croatia especially, I... I can see similar happening, you know. Draw the first game and people go, Oh, do you know what? That's 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 a good start. And then say so you lose to England. And then and then you have to it's all on the last game. You have to then then win that. And by then it you know, it could be too late. because you've maybe not taken the risk in that first game uh against the Czechs when, you know, with 10 minutes to go and it's one all. Why don't, why don't you turn that into three points? Because if you lose, you can always chase it in the last game. You've lost your opening game. Okay, right, we need to pick up something. But if, if you've not done enough in a game where you should be winning, I, th- I think that's when it comes back to haunt you. And I, I've seen it in Scotland teams throughout qualifying for the last 20 years. And they quite often score and then they're on top and sit in. And the inevitable, you can see the equaliser. And I've sat there so many times, be it in the North Stand at Hamden or away from home. Well, we don't often score first away from home, to be fair. But you sit there and, and you go, what's so horrible about the 2-0 lead? Why don't you go, go, go and get a second? You know, if you're on top, don't don't let them back in. Yeah, You know? If you get a second you finish this, go and go look for it. So uh, uh, that's what I'd like to see I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more risk, you know show, show a belief in yourselves and, uh, you know you might you might concede, but i would I would rather lose a game that you try and win than than draw a game that you're trying not to lose.
0: Yeah, I get that mentality. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about 20-odd um, years of um, not qualifying. I mean, you were going home and away, visiting so many different countries um, to try and see Scotland for, um, for a World Cup or European Championship. So how did it feel when you were um, at home with your dog watching the Serbia game and seeing it happen?
1: Uh, surreal. Surreal, because you're desperately trying to concentrate, but all your mates are messaging you all the time. And I mean, I just, I had to put the phone down, but I was also, uh, BT had asked me to do some filming as well, to, you know, put a camera on and and film your reactions. So you've actually got so much going on, you get really sort of self-conscious at at those moments. Um, I mean, it, it, it was still euphoria. When you get to that, that time, you're just, all your focus is lasered in on what is happening. Your temperature goes up, you, you're shaking, it, it's it's everything that, that it should be. Um and we made it hard for ourselves. <laughs> but but got there, got there, and uh so it's it's relief, a bit of disbelief and and euphoria as well. And I think I think you saw it. It was perfectly summed up by Ryan Christie's interview. Yeah. I think, you know, that had had, it had a little bit of time to settle in and just the raw emotion of it all. Um, I thought that was a that was a, a brilliant moment.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Luke Chandler did very well with that interview. You know, lucky. Um, he was a lucky boy being able to be out there, um, as was Stephen McGowan, who I interviewed for another podcast as well. So it's... Um, yeah, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And again, it was the Scottish way, you know, we were, we were on top, we were dominant for 89 minutes, then when they scored, you thought, well, here we go, latest chapter of glorious failure. And then when it got to penalties, just just watching them, and I was watching them head, head through my fingers, thinking, oh God, here we go, it's McTominay, the mistake is made, please don't miss, and he scores, McBurnett, oh God, he's maligned, what's going to happen here, he scores. And it was only when Kenny McLean scored, I thought, Marshall's saving this next penalty, I don't know what made me think that but I just thought he's going to save this and you know it was just an incredible you know but it's it, it's just unreal that we're all in our houses you know nobody's in Belgrade in nobody's in a pub we're all in our living rooms it's just a weird way but it was special
1: yeah that's uh surely they could have could have broken the air uh pubs being shut for a couple of hours just <laughs> just to let us all celebrate at that moment. I can't believe we're doing a podcast, and I've mentioned glorious failure more than anything else. It's my it's my lifetime ambition to ban that phrase.
0: <laughs> well, if we finish finished in the bit, one of the best three runners up. Uh, So one of the best third place sides and get through, then that can be banished forever. (laughs) Although if we lose a last minute goal in the second round to whoever, then that'll probably come back again. But yeah, it it is an it is an irritating phrase. But you know we've just made it copyright for so long.
1: We have, we have, but we need to we need to ditch that mentality. No, no, you you wouldn't you wouldn't have the Germans saying that exactly winning winning mentality.
0: Yes, well, hopefully this can um, start a breed of um, of winners. So we're now, um, as as we're um, speaking, the squad will be getting announced soon and UEFA have confirmed that we're allowed um 26-man squads in instead of a 23. Who do you think at this moment in time are going to be the main beneficiaries of that?
1: Good question. Uh, oh, there's there's probably two answers because who, who will benefit and who I think should. Mm-hmm um three three that i would quite like to see in i think um would probably be i, I, I think Ryan Gold deserves a chance um Billy Gilmore yeah uh, and and David Turnbull i think would probably be the, probably be the first on that list i think David Turnbull but there's three midfielders you not you're not going to add three three midfielders no. in. And you're not going to have
0: three uncapped midfielders yeah. at this stage. I think maybe one. Yeah. Um, if Steve yeah. Clark's there's thinking.
1: I would, I would like to see, given, given the tournament experience, I thought the last friendlies, all three of them probably should have been involved. But, you know, Steve Clark knows what he's doing. Um, there's probably a striker in there that, that will get a chance that wouldn't have. Uh, Really impressed by Kevin Nisbet at the weekend mm-hmm. uh, in the Scottish Cup semi-final. I think he's even in in his short time in the top flight. I think he's uh, he's just cranked up a level. And and I was talking with Michael Stewart and Stephen craigan uh, during the game about it. A year ago, Lawrence Shankland was was above him, mm-hmm. and. I just think that, that Kevin has has surpassed that. I think he's moved ahead of Lawrence in the in the pecking order, yeah. just because he, he's added a, more of a, an all round game. Uh, mm-hmm. He's playing in a better team, which helps. But every time I've seen him, uh, I've I've been impressed. Uh, so I think he's he's probably one that I think could could get get the nod.
0: Potential and he's now shown that he can be a big game player because um having missed in last season Scottish Cup final, which was played this season, um, he then steps up in this season Scottish Cup semi-final, scores a very good goal, and then plays a part in the second goal, which should have been disallowed, but that's another story. But um that'll do his confidence no harm and it'll help Steve Clark because given obviously Oliver McBurney is injured, will probably not make the squad now, and I know there's other issues as well. Um and Lee Griffiths, you know, is he another one that could come into contention, but how many chances has he had as well? And he just I know he's got his personal issues and we wish he overcomes them, but at the same time it's frustrating as well because you know that if you get a chance to win the box, he's got a chance of putting it away.
1: Yeah, oh absolutely. He's he's probably he's probably the best striker we've got. Um He's not playing enough football at the moment, uh, quite clearly. So he's not scoring enough goals. His confidence, therefore, won't be high enough. Steve Clark hasn't, he hasn't really had the chance to use him very often. I'm not too sure how many. This Serbia game, that's yeah.
0: been it.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think it would be unlikely for Lee to get in. But but you never know. Now there's the, the, now there are those extra three. That, you know, maybe that becomes a, a bit of a wild card pick. Um, Jack Henry's another one, actually. He, he will probably get a good chance now. He's been playing really well over in Belgium.
0: Yeah. Especially um, Ryan Jack being out, that'll allow McTominay to yeah. go into midfield.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we do need to bolster the defence. But there's there's quite a few in the, in those centre backs who are all of a very similar level that it becomes very difficult to to separate them in terms of their ability. I think what might determine it for Steve Clark is their personalities and how they they mix within the group and and only he will really know that.
0: Yeah, we've got we've obviously got our trust in Steve Clark. You know, he knows more than you and I. So um you know I'm sure he'll he'll make the right decision with we'll all our get but um <laughs> That's just the nature of football fans. So in, in terms of the games itself, you know, let, let's be honest, um, you pretty much said it. The main games for us are the Czech Republic game and Croatia. England is almost... I don't, want to say that, but I don't like the term free hit. You, you know, because that's almost almost accepting defeat before you're in. You've got to have a go against England, but there's less pressure in the England game compared we're, to the other 2 losing t-
1: that mentality, John. Come on. <laughs> we, can go, we can go and win at Wembley. We, we can. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, we won in Paris with a team that couldn't get to a, a major tournament. Yeah. So, you know, replicate something like that. Things things happen in football that aren't supposed to. England are a good side, but they're not. A, they're not a brilliant side. They're They're beatable on their own patch. Um, every Every game is winnable, and but you're right. It's It's the hardest hardest of the three by a long shot. Um, but. They, again, they make it easier to qualify by getting 24 into the tournament. They make it even easier to get out of your group because they play however many games in the group stages to get rid of eight teams. You go from a 24 to, to a last 16. I mean, Portugal got through, they got to the final without winning a game
0: in 90 minutes. One game in 90 minutes, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah one, one win in 90 minutes. So, I think that that gives you that gives you a chance if if one of the earlier games doesn't go your way and um, that you've got a chance to come back sometimes I think in a, in a in a normal group where it's top two out of four if you lose your first game you're probably struggling after that you've got to pull out two wins really to get through lose your first game in this one you've you can you can almost lose your second one and still have a, a hope. You obviously wouldn't want to, but I think in that sense, probably. I mean, we're not, we're talking about a draw.
0: What's that about defeat of sprintality, Rory? <laughs>
1: no, no, it, it, it's not. It's, it's it's just that you get more chances in this yeah uh, this setup. Um, but then you know, the, the Czechs and the Croatians will be saying that as well. You know, mm. so. Yeah, that, that they're they're good teams. Well I mean Croatia mm-hmm. beaten World Cup finalists.
0: Yeah, people forget yeah, that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and the Czechs got some cracking players as well. I mean we, you just need to look at the way that um Slavia Prague played. Mm-hmm. They they were outstanding yes. against against Rangers. Uh knocked out Leicester City before that. Mm-hmm. Um I really enjoy. You know, you take you take out all the the things that went on uh, off the ball in that game because they were horrendous. But yeah. when you look at the way that they played, they were they were brilliant. I came away from that game saying, you know, I I want to see them play again because I really enjoyed the way that they approached the game. It was similar to the way that I, I saw. Um, uh, Salzburg play against Celtic a few years before mm-hmm. that, and Chris Sutton talked to me after that. He said, "You know, they'll they'll go far. They're they're a proper team," and you can see that was Slavia as well. So Czech Czech football, I think, is slightly under the radar in terms of its its quality uh, at the moment. I think they're probably a better side than what a lot of people think.
0: Yeah, I don't think we. I know we beat them twice in Nations League, but let's be honest. The first time it was a. Uh check yeah. C team and then yeah. the second game they had some players out still for that as did we um but I watched them against Wales recently and and they were down to 10 men they were actually better 10 v 11 than they were 11 v 11 and 10 v 10. It was strange, and Wales just about got the win. But it's going to be a tough game, and Croatia's going to be tough. But we can only hope. And in terms of Wembley, um, you must be really excited about going down there and being able to commentate in that game. And um, and it'll be bit, it'll be good for you to be. How how would you think your approach will be compared to when you're doing club football? Because club football, you're obviously not want to show any kind of bias, which I know you're not, but with Scotland, you might be able to have a wee bit of freedom.
1: Well, I mean, you, you always have to um, know who your audience is. Uh, so in that sense, the audience that's watching that game are Scotland fans. So I think you can, you can allow yourself a little bit more. It's, you know, in a similar fashion, when when I do Celtic or Rangers or Aberdeen, Uh, which other teams have I done in Europe in recent years Hibs um, that you you want you want those teams to win no matter no matter who they're playing against you want the Scottish team to do well Uh, I think I can probably be a little bit more partisan with this Uh, (laughs) I mean we'll, we'll see I've probably got I could I could make as many plans on how I want to address it, and I suspect my emotion will get the better of me in the end anyway. Um, just because, I, I mean, my passion is is Scotland, and the football team that I support is Scotland. Um, so, having when when times like that come, you think back to you know being in the Rain and having supported the team throughout so many good and bad times, and, and yeah, I'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't know, I, but I, I'll, I'll be emotional. And if we, if we score, I won't hold back
0: yes. <laughs> because I, I won't so. be able to. <laughs> ah, good. that's what we like to hear we've had too many um, down south of the England expects rammed down our throats, so it's nice to hear a Scottish voice although I say that with all good respect because Sam Matterface is on this podcast as well so we're only kidding Sam <laughs> um, so we've established that Scotland probably won't win the tournament as much as we'd love to do what Greece did in 2004 and Denmark did in 1992 who do you think are the main um, contenders to win the tournament?
1: I mean it's all the obvious Um I think it could be Belgium's time.
0: I'm in agreement with that. That's my tip.
1: And I'd quite like to see them do it. They've, I mean, their squad is unbelievable, particularly going midfield and attack. It is just sensational. I, I don't know how they managed to, to fit them all into a system, um, to get them. And, and then you look at what they've got to be able to bring off the bench or even not make it off the bench. Uh, and I, th- I think this could be their time. Um, they, they were, I think they were pretty good in the last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, came pretty close, but I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them do it. Forward, uh, and he got so much stick when he was playing in England. Oh, he gone
0: again. Yeah, you was just He's saying that Lukaku, yeah.
1: Yeah, Lukaku. I, I I love a big physical centre forward, um, and he got so much stick when he played in England for a you know bad touch and all. I mean, it was it was all just complete rubbish. He's a sensational player, and then when you look at those around him uh, that can supply him, uh, Hazard, you know, De Bruyne. Uh, there are many flaws in that team. Uh, I'd I'd quite like to see them do. It.
0: Yeah, i think they um they were very unlucky in the last World Cup. France did them tactically in the semi-final. You can't obviously write off a team like France. I think England could go far. They've got a good team. I don't think they're at that level, those two. Um but you'll know, just need to wait and see. So um I did set your challenge um, as part of this. Um so um when we last when we spoke for the Tattenham magazine, um asked you to name your best Scotland eleven and from your lifetime and you went with Jim Layton, Christian Daly, David Weir, Colin Hendry, Andy Robertson, Dan Fletcher, Gary McAllister, Paul Lambert, John Collins, Alan McCoy, and James McFadden. So apart from Andy Robertson, just make three changes to that side and put a current player in their position who would make up this team for a combined no alone.
1: It's very unfair. I feel like we've had a COVID outbreak in the in the squad, and <laughs> suddenly three of my starting lineup are <laughs> kicked out of the squad. Um, so I'm, 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 I've written it down. I'm still looking at it now, going, "Oh, how did I? How did I get him out of the team?" But what I've done is I've changed up my shape as well. Ah, um, so. Probably the first change that I made, uh, because it was an easy one, but not in that getting rid of the guy because he's, he's I I took out Leighton and I put in Marshall. Um because when we talked about whether I would pick Leighton or Gorham, I think I've done other podcasts and i picked Gorham. So I was being inconsistent enough, so I thought we'll give Marshall a shot. He's the he's the guy that came up with the with the moment that got us there as well. So yeah. I thought David Marshall can play in goals. Uh the back three, I kept my centre backs, uh Weir and Hendry and joining them Kieran Tierney. Uh because I think um I think in the last few games for Scotland he has shown that he is he is a genuinely world class player. I, I actually think I think he's our best player. Agreed. Uh, I think he is absolutely outstanding. You, you've got a, now a very good defensive unit around him, and he is part of it. Uh, but you've got a second left back as well, and he, and he just plays like that. He just he just goes. It's like what uh, it's like what Van dyke was was like at, at Celtic when he he could get the ball and and look in front of him and go. I'm better than these guys. I'm just going to go for it, and and Tierney has started doing that for Scotland. Um, so yeah, got him in. So then the the wing backs. So it's a it's a three five two um, wing backs. Christian Daly keeps his place. Yes, um, and Andy Robertson, of course, keeps his place. The this the difficulty. So I, I then got the, my two strikers are the same, Kip mm-hmm. McCoyce and McFadden. Uh, and the difficulty then was was making a change and then taking a. I've essentially got to lose two midfielders out of my team, so I've taken out. And I'm trying not to change it. I'll stick with my instinct. I've, I've taken out Collins and Lambert, oh, so I've got a, a midfield three of McAllister, Fletcher, and John McGinn. Um, because John McGinn's record for Scotland is sensational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what was it? The last qualifying campaign, he, he scored seven goals or something. It was like as many as Ireland scored in their entire campaign. <laughs> and he keeps coming up big for Scotland, even though he, he doesn't seem to be scoring that often for Aston Villa. Um, yeah. I also think, and I hear it all the time, and you can see it. And John John's a really nice guy. And, <laughs> When you see him at grounds, I, I did I did Aston Villa games earlier on this season, and he, he was he was doing his warm up and he spotted me and he said I I've mean, only met John a couple of times but he, he went oh you know he recognised the face and he, he sort of sort of nodded and if you talk or you you can you almost actually just need to look at how the players interact around him they all go to him they all like him I think he's a he's a really good bonding influence. Uh, on a squad, and if he's performing the way that he's, he's performing in the Scotland jersey, um, it, was a t- it was tough between him and McTominay because McTominay's classic classy player. Um, yeah. But I went, went with McGinn. Um, so, yeah, so that's the team. Marshall, we are Hendry and Tierney, uh, Daly and Robertson, the wing backs, McGinn, Fletcher, McAllister, and then McCoyce and McFadden up
0: front. That's pretty
1: That team would get you to a semi final.
0: Yeah, probably, yeah. I, to be fair, I would have probably made that change in goal because with that, that defence, you're fine. <laughs> you don't need a Leighton or Goran behind behind you. Um, but no, that's a that's a good effort, Rory. Um, but listen, thank you very much for your time and uh, you enjoy the Euros. And um, let's hope that we get through to the next round and that you'll be able to see those words. Scotland have reached the knockout stage of a major tournament for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah,
1: that would be nice. Well, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks again for your
0: time, John. I take care. Yeah. Thursday night and he dies off to the left David Marshall Gives us a night we will never forget David Marshall Na 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 -na. David Marshall Na -na Na 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 na